0: And open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 21, verse 22, Genesis 21, 22. We're in a series on Abraham and Sarah walking by faith. But Genesis chapter 21, verse 22, and this is the word of God. At the time of Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me until I, uh, and I have not heard of it till today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that that is your word that we have. Father, your word that is our anchor, your truth. Father, We pray this morning as we come to your word for your Holy Spirit's help, to grasp what your word's saying to us, how it applies to us, and and the way we live here and now, and this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Twelve years and five score ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, and now we're engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived or so dedicated can long endure. July 4, 1776, the United States of America, 13 different states, including Georgia, declared their independence from England. 12 score and five years later, we're still part of the, the great experiment, the most successful political experiment of liberty and freedom in history. It's not been a perfect journey for everybody. There's much to look back on and be saddened about as we've just sung. We've not always lived up to the ideals expressed in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution. At the same time, there's much to be grateful for over these last 245 years. We have come a long way in this experiment of ordered liberty, and there's still more to do. And as Christians who are citizens of these United States, we're called by God's word in Jeremiah uh, to be part of the process in the place where we live, to seek our nation's welfare and to pray for our nation. So, what does that look like? See, because at the same time, we live in a nation that has, sadly, like all the nations, uh, declared its independence from the God who created the heavens and the earth and from his son Jesus, who came to give us give us true liberty and freedom from our sins. We want to be despised and rejected and crucified. Uh, For those who are believers in Jesus, though, of course, the story does not stop there. He was crucified for us. He was resurrected for us. He ascended into the heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he rules and reigns and intercedes for us. Uh, And even though our nation does not recognize him as King forevermore, we do. So how should we live? How shall the church walk by faith in the 21st century USA and in the eternal kingdom of God? It's trying to answer that question that fascinates me with this section of the 21st chapter of Genesis. For the most part, we've seen as God's inspired Moses to choose episodes from Abraham's life that are critical junctures in the progress of his and Sarah's learning to walk by faith. We've seen his triumphs. We've seen his failures. And the last part of chapter 21 seems like an an uneventful interlude. The most pressing point seems to be who owns a particular well. And oh yes, Abraham plants a tree. Where we often consider Abraham a a spiritual superior of sorts, here he is living really just a quite ordinary life. He's not making the pages of the Canaan times. In fact, historical records outside of the Bible ignore this nomadic uh, pilgrim from Ur. So how can he make a difference living an ordinary life in an ordinary place? and Likewise, in turn, our living in the 21st century, how should we then live? Or perhaps we'd ask the question, how shall we then plant? Let's go to the text and see. We'll start with the matter of our testimony. Verse 22, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Abimelech is the king of Gerar. That's the territory in which Abraham now lives. And on the southern edge of that promised land is the place called Beersheba now. And so this Abimelech, the king, comes with his army general, Phicol, to see Abraham. Seems a bit ominous, if you will, that it would take place like that. Uh, the time is soon after Abraham has sent Hagar and Ishmael away. And the, and, but it comes with an observation. God is with you in all that you do. It's interesting that Abimelech would say this. It's just been five years ago, a couple of weeks for us, since the time that Abimelech deceived by Abraham and Sarah into thinking that Sarah was Abraham's sister, had taken Sarah to be a member of his harem. I wanted to have God directly intervene to protect Sarah and threaten him with death. He'd heard Abraham's lame excuses about his behavior, and he'd been dependent on Abraham to pray for him so that he would not die. So it's easy to say that their relationship had gotten off to sort of a, a rocky start, But now Abimelech has watched Abraham these five years, and he observes, God is with you in all that you do. The power and the presence of God in Abraham's life is obvious. It's visible to the watching world. Abimelech saw the birth of a son at a remarkable old age. He sees the wealth that Abraham has accumulated And I believe he sees a genuineness in Abraham. Though Abraham is prospering, he's not bothering anyone. He's not seeking to advance himself. He's not out for any political power. And unlike our world that celebrates pride, Abraham demonstrates humility. What makes a difference for Abraham in the world's eyes is very simply that he walks by faith. It's the matter of his testimony. Our testimony, you see, is not so much about what we think about ourselves. It's what other people observe about us, what they see in our lives. Because it's, it's how we conduct our lives, that's what impacts people. So we've got to be cautious about how we live. You know, sometimes we often hear, well, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what anybody says about me. And to an extent, that's, that's good. We shouldn't worry about what people are thinking about us though I suggest that that at some level, all of us care what people are saying about us. At the same time, however, we've got to be concerned about the matter of our testimony. There's a high standard of conduct for us as we go about in this life, and that's the example of Jesus. Um, People do listen to what we say and how we say it. We're the representatives of Jesus. We are to reflect Jesus to the world around us. And often people are watching for us to, to slip up just so they can justify their own behavior. But I suspect even more, though they might not admit it, people are watching to see if there really is a difference in us because we belong to Jesus Christ. God is not so much looking for spectacular Christians as he is faithful ones. You know, at the General Assembly each year, we, uh, people take note of the, the superstars who were there, which ones have come, which ones haven't, you know, across the years, people like James Kennedy, R.C. Sproul, Steve Brown, James Boyce, Tim Keller, Kennedy Smart, you know. Um, and, and, then, and then there are the rest of us, uh, just nameless faces in the crowd. And the only thing any of us will ever be noted for uh, will take place after this life in the throne of heaven. And the only issues are going to be this faithful or not. But it's the same for all of us here as we stand before God. And Abraham, in our text today, is not involved in the spectacular. Uh, he's involved only in faithful walking. To be sure, there are spectacular Christians uh, that God uses in a mighty way. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tada would be an example of that. But for most of us, What God's looking for is ordinary people walking by faith whose testimony will be obvious to the ordinary people that we come into contact with. And Abraham's testimony is obvious to Abimelech. So Abimelech wants to keep somebody like Abraham around him, around his family. He wants him to have an impact. Verse 23, Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, I have dealt kindly with you so that you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. So Abraham, by practicing the directives that God would later, like God would later Paul write down for us as believers, making a difference. Paul writes to the Colossians, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And Abraham's doing that. Let me say again, the, 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 the greatest difference most of us can make is, in this world is, is with everyday faithful living. To say that is not to belittle or criticize anyone who's visibly in the forefront of some cause, some great cause, uh, so that they can please God. And it's not an excuse for us to sit back and, and let the culture rot around us. In fact, there may be some here that God's calling to the front lines. Uh, And if God's calling you, if God's laid it on your heart, you better answer. Whether one's on the front line or being faithful on the back lines, we are still to walk by faith. So Abraham enters into this agreement with Abimelech, the agreement to be a blessing. But then the relationship's tested. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I've not heard of it until today. So Abraham's having some sort of a trouble with some of Abimelech's people uh, about a particular well. And Abraham knows full well that he dug this well, but Abimelech's servants have seized it. But notice how Abraham approaches Abimelech. He does not go to him in anger. He doesn't go with strong language. He merely addresses the problem, and they resolve it. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? And he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. The relationship between Abraham and Abimelech stands the test. Abraham's testimony carries the day because he said the well is his abimelech believed him and they make a covenant with each other friends how we handle ourselves in front of the world and in our problems with the world is crucial everyday life is designed to bring us into contact with unbelievers that's what it's about and our desire is for them to see a difference And then listen as we're able to tell them what that difference is, that it is, in fact, Jesus. So finally, we come to the last section, and Abraham plants a tree. Verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. So let's think about Abraham for a moment. Here's a man who will live to the age of 175, and really, we don't know a whole lot about his life. Moses, guided by the Holy Spirit, pulls a few selective episodes from his life. We see a lot of the big moments. We see him leaving Ur of the Chaldees. We see covenant rituals. We see the birth of Isaac. We see his sin in Egypt and his sin with Abimelech. We hear about his encounters with the world because of Lot. And so I'm always fascinated by little things the Bible reports about our heroes. And here's one of the surprises. Abraham plants a tree. I mean, the Arbor Day Society ought to be rejoicing at this point, all right? And we wonder, what's the big deal? He planted a tree. It should strike us as perhaps strange when someone who does not own any property plants something, particularly a tree, on his property. I can still drive by the old man's on Tanner's Mill Road where we used to live. And in the spring, I can see up on the hill the azaleas we planted, but we do not get to enjoy them. The plum tree, the parish family before us planted, is there and producing plums, but they don't get to enjoy them. Makes all that planting seem a little bit pointless, at least benefiting us. Uh, You can't take those things with you. And so here we have a nomad pilgrim planting a tree. Plus, the guy's 104 years old. Who plants trees when you're 104? I mean, why does he do it? Moses does not tell us. I mean, is it a statement of faith? It is it a statement of hope? Is it a message to Sarah? We're going to stay here a while? Does it mean Abraham anticipates some stability in his life? Even when he owns no property. 23 years ago when we built our home, we thought we have a pretty wooded land. We still planted a few trees and, and now we can... We can sit in the the shade of our dogwood tree in our front yard, put two chairs under it, and sit there. You know, from our perspective, we we planted trees with expectation we'd be there a while. In other words, for us, yes, we, we pray, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and bring the new heavens and the new earth. We're weary warriors. We're ready for the rest of the story to begin. But the reality is, Jesus has his own timetable, and we may be here a while. Abraham is expecting a descendant who will be a blessing to the whole world. But he most assuredly knows it will be years before even Isaac will have a child. So he plants a tree. Maybe he's looking forward to some some cool lemonade on a hot summer day under that tree. Maybe he's looking forward to, to, to playing with little Isaac under the tree. Maybe he was thinking there is a place for solitude with God, a time to focus on God, to think about God, the future, to look forward to the day of Jesus and the God's fulfillment of his, his covenant promises to bless all the nations through, through one of his descendants Why sits under his tree. Those would certainly be things to enjoy, but you see, he planted a tamarisk tree. In the Middle East, that's an evergreen tree. They can grow quite tall, and it can be a, a wonderful shade tree. In fact, its evergreen leaves collect uh, water vapor from the moisture in the air during the night. And then when the summer sun comes out, it, it causes the, uh, the, the, the droplets to evaporate, and produce sort of a cooling system coming down, sort of an outdoor air conditioner. But there's just one problem. A tamarisk tree grows very slowly. In fact, it grows at the rate of one inch per year. And they grow for 400 years. Now, you would never plant a tamarisk tree for yourself. You would only plant one for future generations. You plant it, plant it for the benefit of those who come after you. And that should be us. That's the church. What we do now, the way we walk by faith now, will impact our nation and our world for generations to come. We're called to live by faith in such a way that we impact the next generation, who in turn will impact their children, and they will impact their children, and they will impact their children. You see, 400 years from when Abraham plants his tree, God will bring his people out of slavery in Egypt and bring them back to the promised land And those that settle in Beersheba will find a 400-year-old tree that they can sit in the shade of that was planted for their benefit. When my Huguenot forefathers came 330 years ago, when my Croatian forefathers did 120 years ago, and emigrated to America, it's impacted my life. What our forefathers in Chestnut Mountain did 147 years ago this week In 1874, implanting this church impacts our lives today. What we plant impacts the next generation and all the generations to come. And so as Abraham plants the tree, we read that he's worshiping. And God, and called there upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. God reveals himself in a more complete way to Abraham at this point. One of God's methods in the Old Testament to reveal himself is to give different names to himself. And here, God makes himself known as El Elom, the eternal God. In an uncertain world, the eternal God is a constant for Abraham. The eternal God, God, the uncreated one, is his security. Yes, Abraham's made a covenant with Abimelech, but God is his security. Abraham draws strength to maintain his testimony from time spent with God. And then we read, "Abraham and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines." Life goes on for Abraham, a very ordinary life, lived among a people who don't know the true God. Nothing dramatic happens. He simply sojourns many days, walking by faith. The tree he planted reminds him. God is faithful. Paul describes that sojourning for us very well in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now concerning brotherly love, we have no need for anyone to write to you, for yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What's Paul say? He says, one love, love others, love others well. Look to the interest of others before we look to our own interest. Then he says what we should aspire to. The NIV has make it your ambition. What should our our aspirations and ambitions be? Is our goal to have a, a lot of followers on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or or, or whatever? Is our ambition to have our 15 minutes of fame? Is our ambition to be financially prosperous? Well, that's not what Paul says. Paul says, aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. Work, walk before outsiders, Don't be dependent financially on anyone else. Ordinary people living ordinary lives serving an extraordinary God. So what about us? We often say that our country's greatest need is really a revived church, and I believe that's true. What's a revived church look like? Friends, it's a people living ordinary lives whose greatest passion is the eternal God, the King forevermore. The revived church is people who are pursuing Jesus more than anything else. The revived church is people walking by faith, pursuing grace-fueled holiness. The revived church has compassion on the world around us. The revived church is a praying church, praying for our the grace we need to live holy lives, praying for our nation, praying for the advance of the gospel, praying for another great awakening, and praying, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But come back to this tree business again. You know, I thought about it a lot. Several things struck me. One is the fact that trees are actually very quiet, it's true. Uh, you know, in fact, the only time we ever hear ours is if the wind's blowing or those squirrels or maybe some birds sometimes, woodpeckers or whatever. Um, or if they fall over and you're there, you hear a noise. Uh, trees are powerful. They, they provide wonderful shade from the hot sun. Some provide nuts. Some provide fruits. Some give us dramatic color in the fall. Uh, some in the winter, don't you love to look at the bark and the, and the, and the, and the bare branches against the winter sky? Trees give us wood to build with or fuel to burn. Of course, to do that, they've they've got to give up their lives. And we plant trees knowing it's going to be many years before we ever benefit from them. It simply takes time to grow a tree. But see, the Bible compares us to trees. Psalm 1 says that the person who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. See, as we live our lives, we're to be blessings to the world around us like a tree. So think about it. It doesn't mean we have to be loud or boisterous. It doesn't really require us to go anywhere. It just means faithfully walking God's way before the watching world. It means putting First Thessalonians into practice. You know, the trees in our yard are not very famous in fact, the trees in my yard are not very famous at all. But they're wonderful shade for us, wonderful place for birds and squirrels to live. And my trees are not making a huge difference for you, but they're God's gifts making a difference in the place where they are planted. And those trees require roots. Sometimes I go down by our creek, and the way some of the trees have grown, we get to see how the massive roots. Uh, are, are deep down into the soil to get to water and strength. Strong roots are necessary for any tree to have beauty and strength. Those roots are usually hidden so nobody sees them. And if we're going to be planted trees, we must be putting our roots down deeply into the soil of God's Word, of God's truth, so we make a difference where we are. What God promises is that the blessed person who has planted like a tree, will prosper. That's the blessing of being in a covenant relationship with God, who watches over us, who provides for us physically and spiritually. He gives us our daily bread, and he forgives us our sins based on the finished work of Christ on the cross for us. When we delight in the word and we meditate day and night, we're changed. The Spirit transforms us, both our hearts and our minds. We begin to have godly attitudes and make wise and godly choices. We become fruitful like Jesus. We began this morning by asking a question with another Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. He asked the question about the United States of America. Can any nation long endure? Uh, and we know what the answer is. Yet God's used this nation in many positive ways to be a blessing to the world. We can think of World Wars, world Wars I and Two. God's used this church and this nation to provide the people and the resources to take the gospel news to a world where Satan reigns. And yesterday there is a civil war of ideas and values that threaten our nation. What's needed today more than ever then is a church that reflects the glory of God to a nation that denies that he exists. A bankrupt secularism in today's postmodernism has no answers for the complex problems we face. But friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ does. Walking by faith as the people of God, we must learn to live with tension. We must be planting trees. We must be praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because to be honest, to answer Lincoln's question, the answer is no. So like Abraham, though we plant trees here, we do so, as Hebrews 11 tells us, desiring a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared for us just such a place. Let's pray. God, the uncreated one, our King forevermore, great King of nations, hear our prayer. Father, we come to pray. We pray for our nation. We pray for a revived church. Father, the greatest need there is. We pray for the people of God to be those who walk by faith, that we would reflect Jesus Christ to the watching world, that in the places where we are planted, that, Father, you would use us in those places to bear testimony to Jesus Christ. Father, use us, we pray, to impact this generation and the generations to come with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be planted trees that you use in the place where we are. And, Father, is anybody here that doesn't have the joy and the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ As Savior and Lord, we ask that today you would show them his great love, show them his cross, and draw them to yourself and to your Son, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.